to grab a seat and if you want to turn to God's word to Luke chapter 13 it's page 1046 in those red pew bibles as we're going to continue our reveal series for for anyone who is visiting or new to this we've been spending Sunday nights for a few months now looking at various incidents in the life and teaching of Jesus to see what they reveal to us about God and and how they reveal the heart of the Father to us. Because as we've been saying all along, if we, by seeing Jesus, by observing him, by listening to him, we are enabled to know God better and to gain a greater understanding of his his character. So we're going to read from verses 10 to 17, and I'm going to suggest we read verse about. So I'll read verse 10, and then if you will read verse 11 and so on. The text is going to be on the screen Uh, for you to do the reading part. So I know you've just sat down, but we'll just stick with tradition because I like to do that. Let's stand for the public reading of of God's word. So I'll read verse 10, then you learn. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Grab a seat. I wonder what, what kind of struck you as we read that, as you listened to that, what stood out? Let let me give you maybe a few things that may have done. Uh, What about the fact that the woman in this story was crippled by a spirit? That raises a few questions, doesn't it? Is all sickness and infirmity caused by a spirit? By an evil spirit? By the devil? Maybe you were struck by the miraculous healing of Jesus, although it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell the woman that she's been healed from her infirmity. He actually says you've been set free from your infirmity. Is there something in that? Was it the reaction of the synagogue leader that kind of stood out to you, his his anger, his frustration at Jesus breaking the rules, even though Jesus was doing a good thing or a kind thing, was that what caught your attention? Or was it the response of Jesus to the synagogue ruler? Was that what jumped, his name calling, you hypocrites, quite strong. Maybe you were struck by just the way Jesus referred to this unnamed lady. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. What did that mean? Or was it how this entire incident left people feeling? We have one group who it says are left humiliated, and there's another group who are delighted. 
kind of almost tempted to get us to read the story again and just to say, what, what is the one thing in particular that draw, draws you in? And what about the revealed dimension? What, what does Jesus reveal about God in this brief episode? Well, let's take a closer look and kind of think about all of the above. If you have a Bible open, it'll be really handy. One of the things I've, I've often wondered when I've read this story is I wonder what Jesus was teaching on in the synagogue that day. What was his text? What was his theme? But Luke doesn't tell us. We just have to kind of wonder. Although to hear Jesus teaching on anything must have been amazing. And in the congregation is a woman who's been crippled for 18 years. So she's, she's suffering from some kind of fusion of her spinal bones, which means that she's bent double and she can't straighten up. But despite her obvious discomfort, she's still there. She's turned up. She's in the synagogue. She's there to worship. She's there to listen. She's there to learn. But the thing that stands out about her situation is, is this added detail that her condition was caused by a spirit. It says she had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. If you have a King James version of the Bible or a new King James version of the Bible, it actually says she was crippled by a spirit of infirmity. And now we're into some uncomfortable territory. And we've got to be very careful how we handle this information. Does Satan cause sickness? Well, in this instance, it seems the answer is yes. Does Satan cause all sickness and illness and ailments? That's a slightly trickier one. But let me make a few comments about this. And I realize in one way I'm opening up a can of worms here. But let me just make a few comments. Sickness is one result of the fall, which was triggered by Satan's temptation in the garden. So in that sense, you could say, yeah, all sickness is from Satan. Second thing, sickness surely is primarily a devastating consequence of sin's intrusion into God's perfect creation. And so it is tragically now part and parcel of life in a broken world. It won't always be part and parcel of life, but it is for now. Third thing, there are a number of situations in the Gospels where symptoms of sickness and illness are directly related to demonic activity, but not every time. Some people are simply described as sick and unwell, and there's no link made in the text to a spirit or spirits. And then fourthly, sometimes Jesus, it would seem, casts out a demon and a person is made well, whereas on other occasions, Jesus simply heals a person and there's no reference to a demonic source. And so all I'm saying for now is we, we've got to be careful when we come to God's word and we read a story like this in Luke 13 where it says, here is a woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath who has been crippled by a spirit or a spirit of infirmity. We must not make generalizations 
and we must be wise in how we process that information. But here in Luke 13, this specific one we're looking at tonight, her condition was caused by a spirit explicitly. And as Jesus teaches, and he would have been sitting to teach in the synagogue, but as Jesus teaches, we read that he sees her. Verse 12, Jesus stops mid-flow and he calls her forward, which must have been really odd. Jesus doesn't go to her. He invites her to come to him, which she does without hesitation. And again, as I've read the story during the week, I've often wondered, what was everyone else thinking as, as Jesus invited her to come to him and as she awkwardly shuffled her way to the front of the synagogue? What was everybody else thinking? And if nothing else, before we explore what, what happens next, this is another one of those vivid reminders that Jesus notices people. Jesus notices broken people. He's got a heart for broken people. And that heart screams from virtually every page of the Gospels. The compassion of Jesus is on display yet again. Because not only does he see her, not only does he notice her, but he responds, he does something, and so he invites her forward because his love is activated and his love is demonstrated. Because that is what compassion is. It's not just feeling for someone, it's actively doing something for them. And so Jesus sees her, and calls her forward, speaks to her, touches her. And so we read that, and Jesus says, you are set free from your infirmity, and then he puts her hands on her. Jesus liberates this woman, he frees her, he demonstrates his control over the spiritual and physical realm. Previously crippled by a spirit, this lady's now released. And this dramatic moment and in this dramatic moment, Jesus displays and he confirms his power and his authority over the spirit world and over the physical world. And we know that, that Jesus came, and this, this is part of why he came. He came to set captives free. And so earlier on in Luke, in Luke's gospel, chapter four, we read that Jesus stood up in another synagogue in a place called Nazareth one day, and he declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for that he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be free, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. And here in this synagogue, in this Sabbath day, Jesus is doing exactly that. He's setting a woman free, further clarifying his identity and establishing his power and confirming, do you know something? A new kingdom has come, a new kingdom is arriving, a new kingdom is touching down. Jesus sets a captive free. And as a result, two things happen. End of verse 13, it says she straightens up and she praises God. Jesus straightens out her life and God is glorified. And the, and the exciting thing is that that's what Jesus is still doing. He's still setting captives free. He's still straightening out people's lives and he's still causing praise to rise. Does this mean that everyone who is bent double or with any other physical ailment will be healed? No, at least not until the new heaven and new earth. 
But does it mean that everyone who Jesus sees and notices and reaches out to and sets free, does that mean that they are totally and genuinely liberated? Absolutely yes. Those who Jesus sees, notices, speaks to, reaches out to, are set free. And as praise breaks out and as this woman's life is straightened up physically, a negative voice pipes up. Usually does whenever God's at work. Even in so-called holy places because not everyone copes whenever the regular program is disrupted by the unpredictable or by the supernatural. And so the synagogue leader speaks up, but what is really interesting, and I'm sure you've noticed this, but what is really interesting, that is although, although he has a major problem with Jesus and what Jesus has just said and what Jesus has just done, he doesn't speak to Jesus. Look at the text. It says that he speaks to the congregation, to the people. And even before we consider what he says, surely it's worth pointing out that whenever you've got an issue with someone and what they've said or what they've done, you should at least, as a first port of call, go and speak to that person. But the synagogue leader doesn't do it. He doesn't speak to Jesus. Even though Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue, the synagogue leader just addresses the people, almost ignores Jesus. And the problem isn't that Jesus has, in the synagogue leader's words, healed the woman. The problem is that Jesus has done this in the Sabbath. And if you look at this verse, he actually describes this as work. And he says, listen, there are six other days for that. Don't come and be healed on the Sabbath. And the synagogue leader, you discover, is this rules and regulations man. Yes, the law is the law, but he's got this narrow interpretation of it. It's a petty interpretation of it. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't care about the law or didn't care about Sabbath keeping in particular. If you read Luke's gospel up to this point and beyond, you'll discover that Jesus actually speaks about Sabbath on a number of occasions. Back in Luke 6, we read about Jesus and his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath or Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And in the first incident, Jesus declares himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus had a high view of the Sabbath. And in the second incident where he healed that man with the withered hand, he actually was trying to reorientate people towards the concept of doing good on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a good day to do good. And in the chapter after this one in 13, Jesus heals another man on the Sabbath and gives us that ox in the ditch principle, which is all about helping those who are in need on the Sabbath. So Jesus had a high view of the Sabbath. But here in this chapter and in this incident, Jesus sets a woman free. And it upsets people. Jesus, as I say, he isn't dismissing the God-given gift of Sabbath. He's just challenging a suffocating interpretation of it. An interpretation that actually restricts life, doesn't restore life. And in verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, listen, if, if animals can be untied and watered on the Sabbath to take care of their needs, then surely untying a bound woman on the Sabbath day is permissible. Yes, Jesus could have waited another day. I mean, what was another day in 18 years? But how trivial is that? How locked into legalism? How bound to the law? And so Jesus is challenging this. But what is maybe more shocking about the way Jesus challenges here is how he starts this conversation about the Sabbath. 
and how he addresses the synagogue leader. And this must have been harsh. And, and people must have been taken aback by what Jesus said right off bat. You hypocrites. And Jesus doesn't seem to hold back. He doesn't tone it down. He just calls it as it is. They are sacrimonious, sanctimonious hypocrites. You'll untie your animals. You'll give them a drink on the Sabbath but you're not going to allow this woman to be untied. You're not going to allow this woman to be helped today. You have more compassion on your oxen and on your donkeys than on this poor lady. You loop the part. You play the part. You wear the masks. But you see underneath it, your hearts are not in this. Your hearts are cold. They're indifferent in the face of human need. And Jesus confronts that. And he's the one who's now indignant. And he's the one who's now angry. And he's angry that they're more caught up in rule keeping than in helping a suffering human being. They're callous. They're uncaring. They pretend to have virtues, but their actions contradict their beliefs. And so Jesus calls them out. You hypocrites. And time and time again in Scripture... We're warned against this sin because hypocrisy is a sin. And if you go right back to Isaiah, Isaiah says, see these people? And this is God speaking through the prophet. These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And right to Jesus who takes this issue on head on, and he calls hypocrites for what they are. On one occasion, he calls them whitewashed tombs. On another occasion, he calls them a brood of vapors. And here in Luke 13, he calls a synagogue leader a hypocrite. But how he refers to this woman is so radically different. He, he calls her out, but he refers to her as a daughter of Abraham, and this is a little unusual. But I wonder what it meant to her. As she was in that congregation, as she had walked forward, as she had been healed, as she now listens to Jesus calling the synagogue leader and all those who had sympathy with him hypocrites, and as he talks to them about their rule-keeping attitude to the Sabbath, and then he refers to her as she's now standing there straightened up, as he refers to her as a daughter of Abraham, how must she have felt? Up to that point in her life, what was it that defined her? Who defined her? Was she defined by her disability, by her pain, by her circumstances? I don't know. But in this phrase, she discovers her true identity. This is a daughter of Abraham. Or another way of saying that, this is a child of God. A child of God that Jesus, in this very dramatic moment, has expressed compassion for. And so the incident ends, and it ends with two distinct groups of people, each of them, as I said earlier, feeling very differently. One group are humiliated. The other group, it says, are delighted. And not to make too big a deal out of this, but you know something? See whenever people set themselves up against Jesus. See whenever people voice off about Jesus to others. Then they will 
they will one day find themselves humiliated. Now, if it's not in this life, then it certainly will be in the next. But for those who acknowledge who Jesus is and who rejoice at what Jesus does, then there will be delight in this life and the next. So let me ask you again, what is it that strikes you about that incident? What is it that you're going to take away from what we've thought about? What is it in those eight verses that you want to go and think about further? And as I finish, what, what did Jesus reveal about God in these conversations? Well, let me give you six things. I'm not going to, this is not our six-point sermon now. But let me just give you six things that Jesus reveals about God. We discover that God sees and notices people. He's a God of compassion. We discover that God is greater than the evil one and has all authority over him. We discover that God can straighten out a life and set a person free. We discover that God's purpose for Sabbath is for praise and for freedom, not for misery and bondage. We discover that God hates hypocrisy. He's not impressed with external behavior that masks the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. God cannot have pretense. People can pretend all they want and fool others all day or even some of the time, but God is never taken in because God sees the heart. And finally, God impacts lives. You see, there are very few people neutral about God. And so I pray that having looked again at just this, or briefly looked at this fascinating incident, we will go from here and we will be delighted, as it says, with all the wonderful things that Jesus has done. And that we'll also go from here wanting to praise the God who has further been revealed to us in and by Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, again, we do thank you for how you lived your life, for how you related to people, for how you spoke into people's lives, sometimes words of comfort and affirmation, and at other times, words of challenge and rebuke. And God, for each of us, as we have engaged again with your word, I pray that we will go away and reflect further and consider the one we worship. And may our understanding of God grow and deepen. And may we walk out what we have discovered about him in our lives day by day. Father, help us to be people who are compassionate. Help us not to be people who pretend. Help us to be people who delight in you. Help us to be people who give thanks for the gift of Sabbath. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing our last song, King of Kings, Majesty God of Heaven, Living in Me. Let's stand together as we close.